0: Welcome to the DFD a podcast, dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we chat with industry leaders who share insights and their experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hi, everybody out there in Dairyland! Welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Switzer. I'm really excited. I was, uh, walking a bunch of hay fields today and, uh, looking at kind of the maturity of some alfalfa and some uh, grass crops and last week looking at some triticale and some rye and, you know, it's, it's hay cutting season. So I thought, uh, why not get the kind of the founder inventor of Hay in a Day, uh, Tom Kilser with us. So Tom is from Advanced Ag Systems in, uh, where are you at, Tom? You're in New York?
1: Yeah, in New York, uh, south of Albany, a little town called Kinderhook.
0: Yeah, so you're, so you're you're right on the eastern side of New York then?
1: Yeah, I'm only about 20 miles from the Massachusetts border.
0: Okay. Well, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and and maybe how you came up uh, with the concept for Hay in a Day?
1: My career has been a little bit mixed. I was a fisheries biologist originally. I did environmental impact studies for power plants, nuclear plants. Uh, Got bored with that and went back to school for my agronomy degree at Iowa State and then got a job with extension and then became a multi-county specialist and worked there for 33 years, did a lot of research while I was doing that. Uh, retired in two thousand and nine and there was a closed research farm nearby here and I asked them can I keep doing research there? They said sure. So uh, we kept doing research there. I think we were too good at what we did though. Um, <laughs> we were sucking up grants and getting all kinds of work done. It got to be embarrassing. So uh, they shut us down and sold it. <laughs> oh <did laughs> but they? we're still doing we're still doing research. We've got our ways of getting work done.
0: So you just doing it direct with uh, producers then?
1: Uh, yes, that's one of the ways we're doing, and I can't talk about the other ways, but it's getting done. (laughs) And it's getting funded too.
0: (laughs) Yep. Well, that's perfect. So I know it's a real buzzword to talk about hay in a day, but I think the more kind of scientific is photosynthetic drawing. So maybe can you kind of talk about the concept and maybe what you're looking for, uh, with that?
1: All right. What we, uh, we got into this a number of years ago, we were looking at, whole farms analysis, systems analysis. And I was talking to a nutritionist, Dr. Chase at Cornell, and I asked him how much forage we could feed. And I thought it was always 50%. And he says, no, look at the dairy reference manual. And I went and looked in there and lo and behold, we could feed more forage. And forage, the nutrients in forage cost about 30% less than the nutrients in grain. So we started feeding more forage and the nutritionist said, well, we can't feed all this haylage. It doesn't have any energy in it, which I thought, okay, that's what haylage has until I, I was listening to Karen Hoffman, who was a noted uh, uh, pasture person and she was doing a talk and she flashed some uh, uh, forage samples up and lo and behold, they were 7.2, 2 7-4 net energy of lactation and we had 5-8. So we started trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, then we realized that uh, what most of the farms were doing, because of an engineering answer to raking, they were throwing everything into a narrow windrow and it was compost drying. And compost drying is not how you make good feed. It is actually composting out there. Uh, one of the farmers, uh, had his, he, had, he has windrow composting. He went out and he stuck his windrow, his compost m- uh, thermometer into the windrow and said, holy crow, I'm composting. So hmm. we started looking at how can we dry this faster. Uh, we started opening it up, did a whole pile of research on all farms. This is all on-farm research where we were doing the work. And then Dr. Cherney at Cornell came along and replicated what we did. And he said, sure enough, uh, this system works. And it took me a while to realize all the aspects going on. But the core of it is, you said right in the beginning, is photosynthetic drying. Uh, In photosynthesis, uh, the plant will take uh carbon dioxide, sorry, Al Gore, we need that for plants to live. It'll take carbon dioxide out of the air. It takes water out of the plant. And if it's in sunshine, it makes carbohydrates. What is the net which is the net energy of lactation? Yeah. And so we keep increasing the carbohydrates while we're drying the plant naturally. Now, if you take that plant and throw it into a windrow so it's in the dark, or you leave it overnight, respiration works the other direction. And it takes carbohydrates, tears them apart and makes water and carbon dioxide. That's the products of respiration. Uh, So what we learned was, is it by two things? One is we need to have this photosynthesis to pick up and hold the energy. The second thing we learned is that this stuff dries phenomenally fast. If we set it upright. And that has been the huge bugaboo is this through a hand grenade in the machinery business. They all made narrow rolls on narrow conditioners. It went right to a narrow windrow, roll. So they didn't have to rake it. That was completely bass backwards. It was a correct answer, but they never asked the cow what she thought of that feed.
0: Yeah, I know. like as a, as somebody that does cow diets and nutrition, it amazes me that every year we still look at, hey, your alfalfa silage. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, 1.3 megacal, 1.5 megacal, mm-hmm. and which I'll convert that back to US, but that earned Imperial, but I think that's like something like a 0. 0.65 or 0. 0.7 or not even 0. 0.7, sorry, 0. 0.55, 0. 0.6. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it just begs the question, I guess, what can we do to make better feed, you know, with the feed prices in the markets the way they are right now? I know in Canada we get uh, kind of a constant price for milk, um, where in the U.S. you don't necessarily have that luxury sometimes. So how are we going to make feed so we can feed less, purchase feed, you know, grains, proteins, etc. So,
1: Well, actually it works better for Canadian farmers because yes, you have a price, but you have a limit at how much milk you can make. So you have got to make more money out of the milk yep. that you're making. And yep. what we found the huge role in that was to increase the feed value of the forage so we could feed more forage. And when Dr. Chase came out and analyzed our farms, he found a 30% increase in income over feed cost by going to wide swath same-day haylage, which is just huge. Uh, There was a farmer in Minnesota, an organic farm, Uh, He said, I was out there, I did the talk a couple of years before, and I came back out again, and he stopped at the meeting, and he said, two years ago, my 100 cows, organic cows, I switched over to wide swath haylage. He said, that was the only change I made. And we took his rations, his two rations, put them side by side and calculated it. He was increasing his profitability $105,000. Jeez. Yeah. You start talking real money. in this. It's
0: a thousand bucks a cow.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the kicker in this, though, is that uh, I did some research where we were using uh, what I call the gold standard. Uh, it was mowed at 90% of cutter bar width with no conditioning. When yep. we mowed it, it was 25% dry matter. An hour and a half later, it was 37% dry matter. And two and a half hours later, it was over 40% dry matter. The biggest problem we had with this is people didn't expect it to dry that fast and they made it too dry. But that's how fast it'll dry with photosynthetic drying. You put it in the sunshine and let just plain God sunshine work on the plant. Uh, it will burn up all the water that is in there, at least down to 50% anyway.
0: So you said something interesting about the uh, respiration back there. So like, will it take on water once it starts photosynthesizing? Like, will it get to a point in that windrow? And then if you leave it overnight, it'll absorb some moisture back in to the feed? Well,
1: the first thing is, is we normally a plant would be absorbing water. It'd be absorbing it from the roots. Yeah. And capillary flow brings it right up to the leaves. We cut it off. So it's absorbing air into the base of the stem and it's drying the inside of the stem out first. Uh, There was a a hay magazine that came out recently and they said in there that uh, the stem doesn't drop below 80% moisture. That is not what we found in our research, nor did Jerry Cherney find that in his research. Uh, It dries the entire plant down as it's drying. But once it gets to 50% dry matter, the photosynthesis is shutting down, the stomates are closing, and you're losing the drying ability. At that point, if we're making dry hay, we conditioned, if we had conditioned it, it'll continue to dry. If we didn't condition it, it will slow up the drying process there. But that is well past haylage time, uh, hay crop silage levels. So if you're just doing hay crop silage, there's no need for a conditioner. And in my research and Jerry's research, uh, Dr. Turney's research, we found it was actually counterproductive. Because by dinging the stems up, we couldn't suck the water out to the leaves.
0: So it's just taking the water that would have been coming up from the root and the stem, Mm -hmm. kind of pushing it out through the leaves and and dissipating it that way? It's drawing it
1: out. I have a picture that I show that uh, my daughter took a white flower and she put it in a vase and she put red dye in it and took the picture an hour later. She had a red flower. Uh, It had sucked the dye up. And the same thing happens with the alfalfa, except it's sucking air up. As it draws that water up to the leaves to keep feeding the leaves. And once it okay. runs out of water in the stem, the leaves shut down, the plant shuts down, and we're at 45, 50% dry matter.
0: Yeah, I know. And I, that's the key, like I see with any silage, is that you got to get the moisture right. So mm-hmm. when you start getting off from that 45 dry matter, 50 dry matter stuff, it's a little bit a little bit more precarious to get it uh, to get it in properly, mm-hmm. I find. So yep. Now we're just coming off of kind of maybe halfway through, you know, rye and triticale. Can you do the same thing uh, with those crops as well? Yes. Is this strictly for hay?
1: Nope. Nope. Uh, This wide swath works for haylage. If you're doing hay, that's where the conditioning brings it down through that second layer. But as Al Rotz found in his research, Uh, If you're doing hay on first cutting, 80% of the time, conditioning pays. If you're doing it on second cutting, it only pays 50% of the time. If you're doing it on third and fourth cutting, it doesn't work at all because the stems are too small. Now, coming over to winter forage, uh, we have done a lot of research on that. uh, And it's a challenge because at least what we have down here, we're putting the whole package together. We're getting four and five tons of dry matter a heavy first cutting alfalfa might be a ton and a half. So this stuff is a mass of vegetation coming out the back of the mower, and it lands with a splat. Now we're using mowers that spread it out to more than 80% of cutter bar width. So it's out in the sun, it's photosynthesizing. But what happens is the layer is so thick that the top two or three inches will be photosynthesizing and drying. The bottom is just too thick to dry. So what we do is we mow it, we give it a two hours, it'll turn a silver color. And then we come in with a tether and we bring those bottom layers up. So now they're in the sunshine and photosynthesizing. And for example, one of the farms I worked out with out near Syracuse, New York, uh, he mowed at 10 o'clock, he tetted at noon, And at three o'clock, he was chopping 35% dry matter material. And that was three tons of dry matter per acre is what he had. So So double a hay
0: crop almost.
1: Yes. So uh, three divided by 0.35. It was eight, nine tons of silage that he got dried down to 35% dry matter in one day. But he made it out 80% of cutter bar width with no conditioning.
0: So... Like if you have to look at kind of a helicopter, look at everything, like what is more important? Is it getting it spread out? Is it getting it processed right? Like what is the what is the key? Is it just that spreading out?
1: The analogy I use, the 500-pound gorilla in the room, that's what you always got to watch out for. The 500-pound yeah. gorilla in the room is what is the width of the cutter bar and what is the width of the swath coming out the back of the machine? If it isn't more than 80%, you can't get it or you have a difficult time getting it dry the same day you mow it. It needs to be 80% or more. So, uh, now, there is a farmer up your way. Uh, if I can spin through here and find his name quick. Uh, what he did is he put a, um, diffusers, uh, some bars on the back of his machine to throw the silage out wide. Uh, Bruce McCoy in Lancaster, Ontario. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's down the east. Put- he put some spreaders, uh, little V, V-type spreaders, in yep. on either side, and it took. See the the mowers are basically wide swath in the middle, and then you have a lump on either end because they put those stupid drums on and bring it in. Well, he yep. put something to spread it back out again, so it would be
0: slow. okay. Uh, kind of like on the kind of like a chaff spreader on a combine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same
1: thing. Same thing. Same thing. Yep. But now they are making mowers that are finally, most of the companies are building them right. Uh, There's a certain color machine I won't name, but uh, they, I don't know where their head is. It's, it's not in terms of feeding the cow. That's for sure.
0: So like on that, like, if a producer's looking at, you know, making a capital investment on a, on a mower or more, like should they be looking at conditioners or should you really kind of look at what what your end goal is for your feed? Like if you're not going to do hay, is a conditioner necessary?
1: Uh, it's a waste of money. It's You can buy twice a, twice as wide a machine for the same money if you don't have conditioners on, which means you can mow twice as fast. And there are several of them that are being made Uh, And I don't sell machinery. I'm just telling you places. Uh, Pottinger has a toe behind uh, that I think is like 20 or 30 feet. Uh, The Mm -hmm. mirror makes an awesome machine uh, that's 20 feet wide and it lays it out 97% of cutter bar width. Uh, Kuhn has made some that are just cutter bars. Uh, so there are, and there may be several other companies out there that are doing it, uh, but there are companies out there that make just straight cutter bars. It just goes in the front and out the back. And the farmers suddenly find out they don't need this gigantic tractor.
0: No, because like, to my knowledge, it just takes a lot of horsepower to run those, yes. those conditioners. So like, I know a lot of the, a lot of the producers, I guess, in Ontario here would be going more like the triple mount or like a two mount, more like mm-hmm. a one on the front hitch or you know two on the back or a full out you know kind of and there's a problem with those
1: yeah there's a problem with those is they've been told that they will go to hell if they drive on the hay uh that's just been pounded into their brain you need to take the shields off of the front of that and drive on it because it's more important that it be wide and driven on than narrow and in the dark and not driven on so take all the shields off the front, the extra drums that they have in there. You need to lay it out as wide as you can. And it's, all right, that's fine if you drive on it.
0: Yeah. So that's a, That's interesting because I know everybody is really, really concerned about ash. So like the, like you're just not finding that there's being soil picked up or like it's not yeah. getting driv, driven down in the soil with the tractor lugs or
1: mm. Well, you, you are right on ash. You want to be careful on that because I did some work on that. I worked with Dr. Sniffen, who's a noted nutritionist. And I said to him, I said, Charlie, we have a 65% forage diet. It's half alfalfa. The only change we're going to make are we're going to have 9% ash or we're going to have 11% ash. Does that do anything to milk production? And he did the calculation, came back and said 1.9 pounds of milk per cow per day is what you give up if you have 11% ash instead of 9% ash. So ash is big, but ash is not getting in from the tractor tires. The ash is getting in for two reasons. First, they mow too close. When they buy the machine, I had a guy down in Virginia do this. Uh, the nutritionist approached me and he says, uh, we did wide swath same day haylage. We put the silage in and it's spoiling real fast. What's the matter with it? And he was expecting me to ask questions on inoculant. And I said, what's his ash level? And it was you could have heard the crickets. There was this stunned silence. And he said, 17%. Yikes. I said, he got a new mower, didn't he? He says, how did you know? He said, And they delivered it late. So we dropped the pin in and went and mowed. And he said, that's exactly what he did. They set the mowers up to mow right to the ground. So it'll get every little stick of it. And you'll brag to your neighbors how good this mower mows. It gets everything out in the field. And you just mix piles and piles of dirt in it. Uh, We mow our alfalfa no shorter than three inches and if you have grasses and you're not mowing, uh, if you're mowing uh, um, shorter than four inches, you're not going to have any grass and you're going to have ash in it. The other big piece on that is the engineers come in. These engineers keep coming in and the engineers don't milk cows. That's why they threw it all together in a windrow. They weren't milking cows. They were just fixing something for you. They wanted to have all the stuff that was down brought up and into the feeder, into the the mower. Well, the stuff that's down is garbage anyway. If you look at it, it's got mold all over it. But they made tipped knives. They're, They're at an angle. And so when it's a tip knife, it's the same as an airplane propeller. Take an airplane and stand it on its nose. It'll suck everything off the ground. And that's what the mowers are doing. They were cutting too close and they were using tip knives to suck up all the dirt. And then you feed it into the conditioners that you don't need. Uh, That's going to make sure it stays entrained into the whole pile. Uh, And there goes your ash levels.
0: Yeah, so I really... It's it's something that I I learned I guess maybe from you when you did a webinar for us there a month and a bit ago is that how much of a detrimental effect ash has and you know even looking at inherently haylage or alfalfa silage is going to have that eight to nine percent correct
1: yeah about eight percent I think is what alfalfa runs uh, we've seen triticale is running about seven percent there's certain amount of natural ash materials which is minerals inside the plant uh, the plant yeah. took them up and they're in the plant so there's nothing you can do about it. but it's the dirt coming in that guy that was 17 ash i calculated for every ton of silage he had 258 pounds of dirt and he added one pound of inoculant
0: because <laughs> i was just gonna good. i was just gonna do some quick math on that and see because like if you're putting a thousand tons of silage up just for easy figuring, like if you change from, you know, 9% ash to 11% ash, I'm no mathematician, but you're putting a lot of extra dirt just in, yeah. insoluble, in mm. like just matter that isn't, you can't do anything with a cow can't yeah. do anything with, she it kills, kills your, it, it. It, it kills your NEL, right? Yeah. So. yeah.
1: Well, it, it more uh, increases the volume of what's in the cow. She can't eat digestible stuff because she's filled up with the di- undigestible stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so the more undigestible stuff you have, well, the less milk she's going to make. 1.9 pounds uh, in a two, 2% change. And I've done the calculation on a couple farms, just looking at their their analysis. And these were big farms. And one cow it was eight. One farm, it was eighty-five thousand dollars in dirt.
0: <laughs> That's three acres of land in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: You have better dirt than we you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your cows milk on your dirt better. <laughs> yeah. Is there
0: is there a difference when you when like we were talking about cutting there? Like, is there a difference with you know using a sickle bar versus a uh, like a lawnmower blade style? A disc mower. A cutter a disc bar. bar. Yeah, a disc bar, Sorry. A disc mower versus a disc mower. It's late at night. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, well, when I first started doing these talks, the Amish love my talk my golden standard is a six foot sidebar sickle mower. It lays it at 90% of cutter bar width or 95% of cutter bar width with no conditioning. You can use disc mowers. First thing, make sure they're flat knives. Second, make sure they don't have a big cone to the drum. Some of them make real high cones, which makes a, a little a vor, a vortex or tornado in there, which sucks everything off the ground. Again, the engineers came up with an answer and that is mixing it in. And if you have conditioners, they make sure it stays in the, in the stuff. Now, if you're mowing without a conditioner and you're using the flat knives so that uh, it's not digging into the dirt, the other thing that I found that helps a lot is using a merger. If a merger is run correctly, again, I keep coming back to this, we have a hardware issue, the loose nut at the steering wheel. Uh, If the merger (laughs) is running properly, it picks the material straight up, right at the edge of the tines, it lifts it straight up and in. Any dirt falls off. But These guys drive too fast. They're designed for six, maybe seven miles an hour. They'll go 12 miles an hour. And what it picks up is way back under the machine where the skid plates are is where the tines first hit it. They drag it down and forward into the dirt and then fling it up and over onto the top. Uh, The other place we get it in, wheel rakes are horrible for mixing dirt in. And rotary rakes without, Uh, caster type uh, wheels underneath it. Uh, They'll dig into the high spots and skip the low spots type of thing. Uh, So they can be run correctly. Uh, Wheel rakes I've given up on. Uh, Wheel rakes, they they just mix dirt in no matter what you do. Uh, But the rotary rakes can be set up. uh, They're half the price of a merger. I don't know why mergers are stupidly priced, but they are. Uh, But a merger will definitely do a better job and in research in wisconsin minnesota and pennsylvania in their replicated trials they all did the same study the merger had the least amount of ash of all of them and in some cases was equal to what was uh the stuff when they first mowed it
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting because you know i do it you do it you drive around the countryside and you see raking and you see a dust cloud. Yeah. And it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: The other one I like is when they're they're chopping and they had it in a narrow windrow. So the center of the windrow is direct cut wet slop with butyric and clostridia. The outside is dry as baled hay and we have a green cloud coming off the back of the machine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which
1: is 70% of the nutrients in the leaves Yeah, because
0: wow that's like, because uh, alfalfa just isn't inheritably digestible. Like it's mm-hmm. the fiber and it's pretty bound up. So we're really looking for that leaf and the, mm-hmm. the fiber out of it. So.
1: Well, one of the pieces that um, um, we found when we were doing this is because it's photosynthetically drying, the leaves dry last. The stems dry first, and the guys get it too dry because they're used to seeing the leaves like cornflakes in you know, your breakfast cereal, dry and yep. crunchy like dry baled hay. No, this stuff looks green. It looks too wet, but it's already dry because it's drying from the inside out. The last thing to dry are the leaves, so they stay on better.
0: Yeah, and I mean, when it comes to hay season too, I know lots of producers, they're costers working overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, doing green samples and things like that just to make sure that they do get the get yeah. the timing correct on yeah. it. So
1: yeah. they're being they're they're using data rather than guessing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a real art walking out to that window and knowing what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to have a little bit of reassurance, I guess, on our part just to know mm-hmm. to know what's in there. So it
1: took me a while to and a lot of samples to figure out what was going on and then when Dr. Cherney did the work I told him I says you need a whole crew of people out there because this is going to dry faster than you can ever realize and after he got the work done he said holy crow he says we were literally running with the samples because it takes you five minutes to get this sample and five minutes to get this sample and five minutes to get this sample by the time you got to the fourth sample it was 15 minutes more drying which was huge with photosynthetic drying
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's just getting away on you yep yep yeah um is there any effect on the photosynthetic drying cutting in the morning versus the afternoon or nighttime
1: i actually did a study on that um a number of years back uh we mowed uh This is when I was in extension. I mowed uh, at eight o'clock at night with a sidebar sickle. So it was wide, no conditioning. Uh, I mowed six in the morning and I mowed at 930 when the dew was off. Six in the morning, if I had mowed to a windrow, I would have captured two tons of liquid water in each acre. That's how much dew was out there. But if I didn't condition it, as the mower hit it, almost all the dew ran off onto the ground. Now, the stuff mowed the night before, the dew tended to stay on it, and then the stuff that we mowed with conditioner actually ended up drying slower than the unconditioned. Um, Yeah. So we started out our our non-structural carbohydrates, NSCs, were real high at 8 o'clock at night. The 6 o'clock in the morning one, the non-structural carbohydrates were low because the plant both respired them and moved them into the roots. The roots have to live on something. Uh, The eight o'clock at night one was the same as the six o'clock in the morning because it had respired them off. And the 9.30, when I took them all the samples at 9.30, the NSCs were the same. There was no difference because it had burnt them off beforehand. Uh, So once we laid them out in the sun, we had them out in the sun after we mowed, photosynthesis built them back up again. So when it was all three were dry about the same time, which is around one o'clock, one thirty or so, the NSCs, there was no difference. There was no advantage to doing it at eight o'clock at night.
0: So I, as long as you did it in the morning, you're mm-hmm. probably gonna be okay.
1: Yeah, and what several farmers have told me is that we'll mow them eight o'clock at night, six to eight at night you know, until it gets dark. Uh, and then we'll mow some in the morning, nine o'clock or something like that. He says what we mow in the morning is ready to chop before the stuff from the night before is
0: just because it can't get that dew off.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't photosynthesize as well. it's it just can't uh, can't be photosynthesizing and and burning the, the the moisture inside the plant off in addition to the dew.
0: Yeah. Tom, this stuff's fascinating. I know you've got uh, you said you were started an extension before well before I was born so that I mean you have a definitely have a wealth of knowledge uh when it comes to this stuff so is there we any like to,
1: we like to think of it as a wealth of knowledge it's a wealth of mistakes but we don't know younger people that <laughs> I know that doesn't work don't ask me why <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's I've heard that a long time ago. Knowledge is just doing the wrong or doing things wrong for a whole long, a lot of times. So, yep. <laughs> uh, was there any kind of tips or tricks that you have with producers coming in to first cut here um, that could well, maybe help them make a make a better crop if they can't get the the hay in the day or the photosynthetic drying?
1: All right, a couple of pieces. First is you need to cut it on time, and we have been big, big proponents of using a ruler. Uh, When the alfalfa is 30 inches tall mow it. If it's alfalfa grass mix half grass and it's 24 inch tall alfalfa mow it. Uh, And if it's all grass and the dandelions have turned white mow it. So you mow your grass fields first your mixed grass alfalfa fields next and then your all alfalfa fields last. If your mower is one of those narrow ones that uh, no matter what you do, it's going to put it in because I had that when I first started, I told the guys to open it all the way. They opened it all the way. Most of the mowers go to 66% of cutter bar width. That's like, you know, you. I got a truck to sell you as a V8 engine. It's only running on six cylinders. You know, yep. it's, it's not a V8, uh, the same thing. It's not wide swath if it's not 80% or more of cutter bar width. But if that's the mower you have, mow the field as wide as you can open all the shields up so the stuff comes out and doesn't hit a shield and drop if it does that it piles up into a lump and drops into a lump and the lumps don't dry Uh, It's sort of like that cow when you had stanchion barns and you had lime floors as the cows walk out. One cow will go plop, plop, plop all the way down the the line. Well, that's what's happening in the back of your mower. It's hitting the deflector shield, compressing into a lump and landing on the ground. Take those shields off so it comes out and floats down. Uh, As soon as you get done mowing, if you're not at 80% of cutter bar width, go in and ted it. Bring that stuff up and spread it out so that it is spread for the full width that you can get so that now all of it is photosynthesizing drying. But you have to watch your tether speed, and this is critical with the winter forages, the rye and the triticale. There's so much there, if you go too fast forward and the tractor can handle it, it'll make football-sized lumps and heave them out the back and they will not dry. So when you're tedding, you have to watch your forward speed, get off and check to see, am I tedding or am I making lumps? But if your mower doesn't meet the, the criteria, then as soon as you get done mowing, ted it right out.
0: I know this is uh, this is one of my favorite times of year when people are, are making feed. And it's also one of the most nerve wracking times of year because... Uh, you know once we get it in the bunk it's usually what we have to deal with for the rest of the winter here here's well, the rest of the summer and the winter <laughs> yeah yeah well and i mean it's it's i like to be proactive about it and try yeah. and get out there and make yeah. sure it gets hits the mm-hmm. ground at the right time and yeah. and and the proper management practices are mm-hmm. taken into effect uh when doing it because i mean if we have the goal of feeding you know 70 80 percent forged diets which can be done it's mm-hmm. being done now and yep making tremendous amounts of milk. We have to get that forage right. Like, I like your quote, uh, on your, uh, newsletter, it says it is the crops that feed the cows that make the milk, which creates the money. And I don't think, you know, we're in the dairy business and I don't know if there's any truer words to be spoken about that. So. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. The, the last piece that you want to add in on there is I'm a big proponent of inoculants.
0: Okay, let's uh, talk about use, that then.
1: Not using an inoculant is sort of like, okay, you got a field that's run out. Okay, so you go out, you plow it up, uh, you smooth it all up. In our case, we pick all the stones off of it. Uh, you get yep. it all smooth, you put fertilizer on, you put lime on, you roll it, and you walk away. You don't, don't put any it. alfalfa out there. Yeah. But you, you, want the, you want the alfalfa, so you put alfalfa out there. Then why in God's name we take and grow really nice alfalfa, high digestibility, we mow at the right time, we lay it out wide, we get it to be real high digestible, and we let whatever crap is floating around in the air, uh, pickle it. Uh, You look at the yogurt makers, the wine guys, the beer guys, the ethanol people, they all use very specific organisms. And so you need to use an inoculant to capture that energy. And the other piece that happens, when you go to wide swath, you're going to find sugar levels two to three to four times higher than what you had seen before. Instead of 1% or something like that, you're going to be looking at 3, 4, 5, 6, 7%. And if it's winter forage, 15, 18, 20%. Yeah. And I- if you don't pickle it right, then uh, you've got a mess growing out there.
0: Yeah. So, like with halogens, stat, are you looking at just like a strict? like a lactobacillus, are you going to put a, uh, a Buckner eye with that? Or what are your if thoughts? If you
1: can get it dry enough, you know, over 35% or around 35% dry matter, then the Buckner will work really well. Uh, as it gets down to wetter stuff, Dr. Lyman-Kung says, Buckner does not work as well. And it gets to be really messy, That kind of fermentation going on. And at that point, we switch over to completely homolactic bacteria. Uh, I have, uh, and we use this more with the winter forages because as we said before, there's so much there to get dry. Some of it may not be dry there. We use a homolactic bacteria, uh, and I have taken them down as low as 17% dry matter. And if you have the sugar, it will ferment with no clostridia. It'll be 3.6 pH.
0: Yeah. I've seen some stuff, some barley silage done last fall and it was, uh, it was barley and oats after wheat, and that stuff was just as wet as wet could be. Yeah, you're but, not they sure. ocul- but they put an oculent but they put an oculant on it, and the sugar was really high. Like even after it was ensiled, yeah. you grab it and your hands were sticky. Yep, yep. yep. And it fed fine. Cows oh, yeah. loved it actually. <laughs> but yeah, it fermented yeah, well. It was the
1: high sugar, they dive into yeah. it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing stuff, and I know with that herd we got, we were feeding quite a key- bit of forage.
1: The key was they used a homolactic inoculant on it. That was
0: the yeah. key. Yeah. So, Tom, is there any other kind of final thoughts you want to leave our, uh, our listeners with?
1: Um, there are um, some companies out there that are pushing back against this. Uh, that doesn't bother me if they want to do it. Uh, I'm more concerned with what the farmers have. And the high forage diets is where we need to be. The cows are better. Uh, Actually, we did a real detailed economic analysis on farms that switched to the high forage diets. Yeah, they saved a little on the grain bill. The vet bill dropped phenomenally. Uh, There was a major drop in the vet bill. So the cows are healthier. They're going to last longer. They're going to milk longer. You don't need as many heifers uh, because you're not culling the cows as fast. So you see these pieces all hooked together. As we move them, we're affecting other parts of the system
0: yeah and i totally agree I, I mean once i'm getting my head wrapped around how to make better quality forage and in turn we can feed more and more forage on the farm with less purchase yes. you know we're like not buying cows. we're not we're not spending as much money on grain to replace energy that we already lost because you know you had a poor fermentation or or you got a crop cut late or you know you have to add extra protein because that alfalfa grass mixture got a little too far away on you and and things like that so well I one think, of the
1: things we did find that you would understand from the nutrition end is we were able to drop the soluble protein quite a bit. And too much soluble yeah. protein in the rumen limits how much alfalfa you can feed. So by dropping the soluble protein, we could feed more of the alfalfa. Increase the energy, we could feed more of the alfalfa. So you gain twice on that one.
0: Well, it's just the sugar, right? Like it's just offsetting. Like the the mm-hmm. rumen bacteria are going to eat sugar rather than something else, right? Yep. And yep. I yeah, these cows are amazing these days. Like. I think, I, I think we're going to do it is see herds that are producing, you know, seven pounds of components on 70 plus percent forage, which yeah I, I'm no mathematician, but, uh, I bet you that looks good at the, on the balance sheet at the end of the year. So
1: yes, uh, the check looks very <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> well, Tom, uh, if people want to reach you, I know you've got a pretty good newsletter here with advanced ag systems. I'll put the stuff in the show notes. Was there any other area or any ways that people could get uh, a hold of you if they wanted to talk more about the uh, photosynthetic drying?
1: Uh, well, I do have, if you go to my website, all my old newsletters are there all the way back to 2009. And I talked several times through there on wide swath halage. So, um... Uh, they can go and look any of those up, but then they also have my email on it and my phone number. So give me a call. I'll talk with anybody anywhere. I'm retired. I can do what I want. <laughs> and I enjoy this.
0: No, Tom. Uh, <laughs> my wife I really... says
1: I'm having too much fun.
0: <laughs> Tom, I really uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast today and I, I wish you the best uh, going through the spring here. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dairy team at Trown Nutrition Canada and our SureGain dealer partners. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe or follow us on your favourite podcast player and please leave us a review. If you would like more information about today's discussions, please reach out. We have left our contact information in the show notes. I would also like to extend a special thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.